I'm Stephanie Van Hook, and you're at Nonviolence Radio. Nonviolence is happening all over the world, though it's underreported in the mass media. Our next segment is the Nonviolence Report with Michael Nagler. Michael is the president of the Meta Center for Nonviolence and author of The Third Harmony, Nonviolence and the New Story of Human Nature, as well as the Nonviolence Handbook. He'll share news, events, and analyses which might even inspire you to take action where you live. Let's tune in. Greetings, everyone. This is Michael Nagler with Nonviolence News. And this is an extraordinary week for us, of course, and so I'm going to give you a few select news items and then uh, go into the event of the week. The uh, point of Nonviolence News is to share with you items that are not reported in the mainstream media, or if they are, they are not very well understood. So... Uh, Let me mention, first of all, a new site, which is called the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence. It's efsgv.org. You can check that out. It's, it's of course, very, very good work. And I want to go far afield for a moment to north-central India, where the Gandhi Research Foundation, where we spent 10 happy days a few years ago, is now offering a postgraduate diploma in sustainable rural reconstruction. The course will start on August 16th, 2020. And I think if you go to grf.org, you will find it. Otherwise, go ahead and spell out Gandhi, Gandhi Research Foundation. Now, closer to home, of course, in Philadelphia, an interesting development Single mothers and their children are moving into abandoned, publicly owned buildings, a form of nonviolent resistance that we're quite familiar with from around the world. But this is one of the most significant housing takeovers in the country. The organizers' demands include an emergency transfer of all the city-owned vacant properties into a community land trust. And they have some other demands as well. So they also echo the call heard at many protests around George Floyd's murder to disband the Philadelphia Police Department. I will have something to say about disbanding or defunding the police uh, at a later time. But this report you can read about in the journal In These Times. Pressured by climate activist groups, Deutsche Bank has stopped supporting the drilling in the Arctic. So Deutsche Bank now joins a list of two dozen other banks that will not back Arctic drilling projects. You can find that article in Common Dreams. And this is particularly significant because it has recently been discovered in the Arctic is a methane leak, which has disastrous implications for global warming. I've been fearing that this will happen in the tundra in Siberia, and it seems to have started in the Arctic. So stopping the drilling there is a big step forward. And again, coming home to roost, our friend Kazu Haga for the East Point Peace Academy and his friend Chris Moore-Backman, friend and colleague, have launched a reparations project which is a GoFundMe project. You can find it on gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash RP, 
for Reparations Project 2020. And it's doing well. They reached their second goal of $50,000 for reparations redistribution back on July 20th. And here's an interesting note. It's a very longish description, but I pulled out this for us. Quote, we offer reparations as an act of restitution, not an opportunity to bring attention to ourselves. For this reason, we request that everyone who offers reparations here does so anonymously. Uh, I think that's a good idea, as a good value, because, you know, there is an attempt to uh, use efforts like this for, um, you know, I guess guilt money is, I guess, what I would call it, or an attempt to show that one is uh, anti-racist. And, of course, often enough, one genuinely is. But uh, this is a good way to avoid that kind of uh, mere display. So the important point, however, f for me is that what is what they are doing with the funds that they're collecting. And like several other reparations efforts that have been suggested or undertaken around the country, what they're doing is not just identifying people who can prove that they are of African slave ancestry and giving them a handout, but rather using the money collected to do critical, constructive program, reconstructive things like rebuilding uh, communities uh, where a large number of people of color live. And it's those communities that are really the factors that hold black people back from realizing their potential. So that's an extremely well-targeted or in the expression, an extremely well-aimed effort uh, at meaningful, significant reparations in a Gandhian spirit. And I, and I like that idea very much. So now, of course, to our main event. We are uh, mourning the, or celebrating or both the passing of three civil rights giants in a, in a bit over one week. Is, uh, Charles Evers was the oldest. He was Medgar Evers' brother and not leading a very socially responsible life until his brother was assassinated. But he just passed on at the age of 97. C.T. Vivian was 95. And, of course, the greatest of them all was one of the uh, big six who were close to Martin Luther King throughout the movement, John Lewis, representative John Lewis. And uh, Mary King, who worked with him for three years in SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was right in the thick of things. And she has posted a fitting, indeed, I would say a beautiful tribute to John Lewis on waging nonviolence. It's a tribute not just to John, but also to his lifelong passion, which is nonviolence. So let me pull out a few gems for us and, and make some comments. Um, she was responsible for communication. She had to represent what uh, John wanted to make known to what we call the reference public. If I were not made clear, they wouldn't get the recruits that they needed. And she says, uh, these are, this is a direct quote, John's consistency of purpose and uncompromising insistence 
on treating the opponent with respect made it possible for me to guess what he would like to say. So I want to underscore that uncompromising insistence on treating the opponent with respect. And there's a similar uncompromising insistence in nonviolence on making sure that you get respect from your opponent. But this is perhaps the more important and most directly recognizable effort. And I would say this is the only thing that you don't compromise about in nonviolence. Uh, almost everything else is on the table for negotiation. And as I've frequently mentioned in this program, Gandhi sometimes compromised uh, so much that even his closest followers thought that he had given away the store. But in every single case, it turned out he was doing the right thing and it moved them toward a nonviolent conclusion, satisfactory for all parties. So now I want to move on to something that I, I thought and also the editors thought was absolutely the key. Quote, John, more than anyone in our ranks, made real and tangible that the ability to control any verbal or physical retaliation could make or break effectiveness. And now here, here's the real key. Quote, I could often see John reaching inside himself to find a place that sought neither retribution nor retaliation, seeking solely justice and the dismantling of inequities. And she goes on, without comprehending the necessity for tenacious self-restraint, it's hard to appreciate how the social power of nonviolent action actually works. And I wanted to add one thought here. Uh, what exactly are you restraining? And more to the point, what are you enabling? What comes to life when you restrain something else? So what you're restraining, I'm going to identify it now tentatively, is our conditioned self, which is habituated to lashing out, to get its own, and it comes from a vision of separateness and disunity in the way that we see the world. So we get into a position of what I'm calling uh, radical separateness, where you actually believe that your well-being can be purchased at the expense of someone else's well-being. But when you restrain that, you enable another vision, a vision of unity in which uh, the well-being of all parties are interconnected, and you enable a very positive energy to come to life. And the great nonviolent advocates have always said that the name of this energy is love. But of course, because of some of the misunderstandings that attend that term in our modern world, in our modern culture, they they have to uh, qualify it in various ways. But anyway, nonviolence is love in action, and the love gets into action when you constrain the non-love impulses that are rising up within you. It's a very difficult job, but it gives you a joy. I'm now quoting Gandhi, uh, that gives you a joy that in the 
meaning of nature that you have no power to describe. So moving on now, uh, Mary King also quotes from Hannah Arendt because her book on violence was uh, quite influential in the movement. And in that book, Hannah Arendt says that violence, far from being the most powerful force in power relations, needs to use instruments. So it's not real power. Its power is not intrinsic. Compare this with Bernard Lafayette's frequent quotation that when you step out of the shower in the morning, you're fully armed. So a direct quote from Arendt, power and violence are opposites, whereas to speak of nonviolent power is actually redundant, unquote. Because for her, power is what happens when people willingly come together to take action on common purposes. And we've just been talking about uh, the psychology or the spiritual dynamics of where that power comes from. She also points out that the sit-in movement, which involved tens of thousands of people, mostly students, before it was over, has led to far more ripples than we realized. So the fact that nonviolence spreads its influence uh, is an important factor about nonviolent dynamics and how it works, but that it happens more than we realized is also typical of what happens to nonviolence in an, what I call an old story paradigm, when we see the world in the framework of separateness and materialism, and we have no way to understand, no way to connect the dots between the uh, nonviolent episodes and what they lead to down the road. And here's uh, another very interesting and very penetrating remark of Mary King's, quoting again, Incontestably, John exuded courage. Yet, I do not think this was his concentration. He was holding tight to his firm mastery of unyielding nonviolent discipline, unquote. And I imagine that this is how, that that this uh, clinging to truth overclouds one's fear. So I'm skipping down now to uh, what she says about today. The Black Lives Matter movement chapters have appeared in step with maintaining the critical nonviolent discipline that John modeled for 61 years. Of course, uh, that it seems to be giving here and there, and I believe that that may be the result of provocateurs or uh, mi and minority groups, that is, numerical minorities. So that is my uh, report for you for this uh, episode. Uh, very good to talk with you, and we'll carry on again the next occasion. <laughs>